Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 206. This week, we talk with Chris Lauren about ML.net, sabotaging machine learning algorithms, generating a website from a wireframe, and the only way to win is to not play. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week, we have Chris Lauren. He has been a program manager at Microsoft for almost 19 years, focused on big data, machine learning, and AI the whole time. He currently leads the ML.NET team and the Azure Machine Learning PM team, which makes it possible to deploy and use machine learning models in your apps and services at scale. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, 19 years. That's a long time. Microsoft has been through a couple of changes in that time. It is absolutely. When I first started, folks were like, why can't you answer this s- simple question? And I'm like, well, you didn't instrument your app because nobody understood the importance of collecting <laughs> telemetry. Yeah. And now everyone understands that data is the new oil, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Carl, so we're going to be shutting down all the things. What's that all about? <laughs> Not all the things, but most, most of the of things. things. Yep. Yeah. So. You know, occasionally Jason and I get together and talk about the podcast outside of uh, recording time, and we had some chance to kind of reflect and do that in this past week. And what we've decided is we want to put a lot of attention where things are working, and we kind of want to remove things that aren't working, a little bit of self-pruning here. So as a result, uh, we're going to be shutting down the Facebook page. In fact, that's already done. I've already disabled that. Uh, I'm waiting for the show to go out before we uh, turn off our Slack. So uh, we weren't getting a lot of engagements on either of those. However, uh, we well, by, do... by us either. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we're part of the problem for sure. But we're both very active on Twitter, uh, especially Jason. I, I respond quicker, but he is out there creating more stuff. So what we're going to do is... Uh, we're going to find more ways to use Twitter, including getting news out there on Twitter, the news links that we have. I know that was a request. I already uh, started writing some tools that will help with that. And uh, hopefully we can just engage with you more often where we are all engaging together. Yep. The reality is everybody's finding the episodes through Twitter and through the website and obviously through subscriptions. And, and we appreciate all of you. Uh, so we're just making it simpler. So you'll just, you know, we're just going to be in one place instead of 10. Or maybe two instead of 10 or three. (laughs) Okay. So what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, The comment of the week comes to us from the Swedish iTunes. So that's uh, been interesting for us finding out how to access international uh, comments. But this came from Alexander Hardwick. Uh, He said, MS Dev Show, five stars, one of the best. I've been a longtime listener, reviewing now that I finally have a Mac iTunes thrust upon me, and have been enjoying the show uh, going from strength to strength. Great hosts, interesting guests, and any podcast that hosts the and any host that utters the phrase, pick a number from one to four inclusive, is definitely <laughs> my sort of thing. Yeah, we had some confusion before we were uh, we were doing that. So thank you for that. Yeah. So Carl found this uh, website. It's called Chartable. It's Chartable.com. And that's what let us view the, the comments. But we can also see our ranking in like the various countries. So I wanted to give a very special shout out to Tunisia. 
where we are the number two podcast in the software how-to category. Way to go, um, Tunisia. Yeah. I'd love to see, like, if you were, if you live in Tunisia or you were visiting Tunisia and you were listening, uh, thank you. And if you want to send us an email at feedback at msdevshow.com, we'd love to hear about your uh, your great comp- country. I was out there reading about it on uh, on Wikipedia. It sounds very interesting. Um, and uh, thank you for all your support. That's uh that's my favorite country now, I guess. <laughs> number number two. Let's get that into number one, though. So, um, people, listeners, uh, we need some listeners to move to Tunisia, please, so we can bump that up. Or actually, you could get a friend to listen to the podcast, whichever is easier. All right. So, if you want to get mentioned on the show, like Alexander, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or comment on iTunes. We really like those five star reviews. Yeah, Sweden's cool too. Thank you, Alexander. <laughs> I don't I'm not putting down Sweden. I'm just pushing Tunisia up. Uh okay, so news. What do we got here? When AI misjudgment is not an accident, inter- in- intentional bias is another way artificial intelligence could hurt us. Do you want to summarize this, Carl? Yeah. So I mean, a lot of times when we look at like when people use software um to kind of do something nefarious. Uh, if you have access to the source, a lot of times you can figure out like, oh, this is what happened. You can kind of trace that back. But as we start incorporating more AI and machine learning into this, um, you know, the way that those models are created aren't so straightforward and traceable uh, like code is. So you could include some uh, training data into your models that uh, are intention- would intentionally skew the results and that could have a huge uh, bias coming out the end um, that people could intentionally do. Uh, we've already done this a lot in AI accidentally uh, when people have done you know, like trying to predict like what kind of criminals are going to be repeat offenders. Um, some of that data has not been properly vetted to take out. Uh, yeah. Well, the existing bias goes into that data set and that's, that's yeah. the issue there. Yeah, but we could we could use those quote learnings from what we accidentally did to intentionally uh, influence uh, these models for whatever we're trying to influence them on going forward. Yeah, so for the for the criminal one, like we could put, I could find a whole bunch of people that look just like me that are not criminals and basically put them into the data set. Uh, that way, the algorithm is biased towards saying that I'm not a criminal. You know, that, that could be a, a malicious thing. We know better than that, Jason. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> criminal. <laughs> criminal or not. So, Chris, any any comments on this? I'm sure you've run into this. Yeah, absolutely. Finding a good representative data set or really even finding a data set at all to train a machine learning model is a really hard problem. You know, 80% of any machine learning problem is kind of the, the data janitorial services, you know, figuring out what kind of data is good enough to use, where is my data, and then, you know, going through the process of actually figuring out how to transform it so that it's appropriate for machine learning. And once someone has done all of that, then going through and figuring out kind of the, the ethics around the data, the biases in the data is super important, but people often overlook that. And so it's it's a really hard problem to solve because most software engineers or even data scientists aren't really trained uh, to understand how to identify bias. And so this is one of the cutting edges uh, kind of areas of research right now as to how to kind of programmatically analyze data sets and identify uh, biases in them, which is uh, super, super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, which actually I think, I think we should go into the next story. Cause I think that that's a good segue into the next story, which is how machine learning systems sometimes surprise us. You want to talk so, about this one, Carl? Yeah. Before I get into it, I just want to mention on this article, there's a spreadsheet uh, attached to this article that has more examples on it. So if you think this is interesting, oh, okay. definitely go in there because, um, there's a lot of really cool things, but uh, you know, a lot of times when we give machine learning, uh, a problem to solve. Sometimes it solves it in ways that we do not anticipate. Um, uh, and this article gives a few examples. So uh, the one towards the end that um, I really like that it was uh, given a task of not losing a game of Tetris. So the machine learning uh, learned that if it just paused the game, uh, the game is never lost. <laughs> so it's kind of going outside of the the rule base here. It's like a, it's one, almost like a it's almost like a rage quit. <laughs> I yeah. never lost. Yeah, another one there's this boat race game and instead of uh, trying to like kind of complete the the course, it figures it can rack up points faster if it just spins around in circles. <laughs> Yeah, there's actually a video of that one there. I didn't even realize this spreadsheet was was linked on here. This is hilarious. Like there was a game where it, could, it figured out it could modify the game uh, to to create long legs so it would just fall across the finish line on a race. <laughs> <laughs> These are pretty funny. Um, yeah, just like with anything else in, in life, you know, being really clear about the the definition of done or success criteria is super super important yeah and so just like people will find workarounds you know we're getting to a point where now you know the machine learning systems can find workarounds you know and so we, we need to be really clear about what our objective is and how we decide whether a, a model is good enough to ship uh and so paying attention to you know whether it's you know recommending things that we would never want to recommend on on a website for example especially as we you know get into the area of generating art or generating text and you know introducing chatbots you know wanting to make sure that there it's only generating language which is appropriate there are all kinds of interesting scenarios here so it's a it's super exciting and sometimes super scary and so you just need to be really clear about what good enough looks like to ship <laughs> i think this would be good for testing too because i like this one here um where was it tic-tac-toe uh, evolved player makes invalid moves far away in the board, causing opponent players to run out of memory and crash. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just good for, it's just good for unit testing too. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know this was so, this is like a long list of these hilarious. Yeah. The agent goes in a circle, hitting the same targets instead of finishing the race. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is pretty good. Anyway, we should move on. Uh, this next one is pretty wild. How to match. Uh, a, B, C, where A plus B equals C and regex, the beast reborn. <laughs> what is wrong with this person? <laughs> so, so first and foremost, this is just a huge, giant regex. I mean, um, I'm going to have to like quickly scroll over here, but this is like just way more re lines of regex than I've ever seen anybody before. Yeah, 424 with, with, lines. Yeah. With comments, it's 424 lines. And you know what? I, I thought my regex skills were good. This guy goes by Dr. Regex. He's, <laughs> he's definitely earned his, his self-proclaimed title. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even follow most of this. Um, so if anybody can, uh, you know, I give you a lot of credit, but you know what, it's one of those things where you think, you know, a plus B equals C let's find that pattern. This just shows how hard it is to show, uh, express that via the regex syntax. 
you know, you we always see like the the canonical stack overflow. You know, don't use regex four. I think uh, this is another one of those problems. Like you can do it, but let's not. Yeah, the page took a long time to load. Uh, that it was linked to it was linked to uh, regex one hundred one, <laughs> and uh, it took a while because of all the color coding. But I think the best part was. In the article, he links, uh, he said he unleashed the unholy mess onto Reddit. And I don't know if you read, did you read the comments there at all, Carl? Only the first couple. Yeah. So it's loading. Here we go. So top comment. Thanks. I hate it. And then the, <laughs> and then the original author says, good, me too. <laughs> uh, and then the conversation continues, but uh, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. But wow. And this, I can't believe this was all handwritten. That That's the craziest part of this. I've seen like you know, computer written regex that does this, but this is, this is something else. Uh, let's see. And then the last story, while this AI creates a website, just by looking at the wireframe, this is super cool. Yeah. So there's, there's a video on Twitter and it shows this camera pointed at a whiteboard. And then you can also see the monitor of what's going on. And the guy just kind of does like a little wireframe of, of a webpage. So you put like a little square with an X through it for like your header and you see that he, kind of roughs out a form, which is boxes and lines. And it actually, like, as he's doing it, it identifies what it is and it creates the HTML for it. And the cool thing is, is like, it actually fills in like placeholder text. It puts lorem ipsum for paragraphs. Um, and it's like all dynamic on the fly. And then as you get on in the video, uh, there's somebody takes the website that's being generated and it not only made the website, but it made it responsive. So like the website flows properly, like in a responsive <laughs> way. So I, I think that's a really cool use of AI. Yeah. Did you look at this, uh, the link, uh, Chris? It's using, uh, you can see the the machine learning, how it's, you can see the boxes around the various elements on the page. Yeah, you know, actually we had, uh, we'd published this a, a while ago on our AILab.Microsoft.com oh, okay. website. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's called a uh, sketch to code. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it does exactly that. It takes your sketch and it turns it to code. Now, I don't know if you've seen, you know, the kind of scenarios like, uh, you know, taking sketches and generating pictures of cats that are more realistic, you know, improve your art skills, but definitely taking a, taking a sketch and generating the code is pretty awesome. And there's even a tutorial on how to do that. If you go to the AILab.Microsoft.com. Um, so you can check it out and play with it and generate your own website. Well, that's really cool. I didn't even know this thing is much further along than I even thought. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah, this is cool. There's a whole bunch of really cool stuff here. Yeah, oh. I did. I did one of those a while ago from like uh, using the Visual Studio tools for AI, how to yeah. uh, train how to train your own uh, style transfer uh, model, for example, to make like really cool art. And there you so you can play with that and see how that works and build build an app using models like uh, TensorFlow in your in your app. So. OK, very so cool. quite neat stuff to check out. Yeah. So with that, I suppose we should dive into ML.net. Um, so yeah, you and I met, we were, we were at dinner with some, some ML people and you were talking about ML.net. I'm like, that's cool. I think people would like to to hear more about that and hear some details about it. So we should probably start with, uh, with the obvious question. What is ML.net? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a machine learning framework for .NET devs to train and use machine learning models in their .NET apps. 
we've been using it here at Microsoft for about 10 years now and products like Bing, Office, Windows, Azure, SQL, and more. So like if you've ever used PowerPoint and like you're typing up this really boring, you know, status update and like in January we did this, in February we did this, in March we did this, uh, then PowerPoint is actually like basically watching you type and then it's inferring kind of your sentiment or your, your intent. Like, you know, what is this person trying to do? And then it'll say, oh, like it looks like you're kind of trying to create a, a time tube essentially. And like, it'll actually just recommend like a more beautiful and engaging layout for your, for your PowerPoint slide in the, what it's called the design ideas section of PowerPoint, for example, mm -hmm. or, you know, similar sort of thing, like in Excel, if you select a range of data and then like click chart recommendations and it'll kind of look at what kind of data is in your, in your uh, range of data. And then it'll say, oh, I'll recommend this type of a chart layout, for example. And each one of those actually uses ML.net or our, our internal version um, that we've been calling a TLC for the, like the last decade. And kind of nobody wants another three letter acronym. So we just renamed it ML.net when we released it as an open source. Uh, you know, it's available in GitHub. You can check it out. Um, but uh, kind of wanted to be more descriptive as to what it is. It's a machine learning framework for .NET devs. Okay. And, and the features that you talked about too, I mean, they work better than I expected. Like PowerPoint will come pop up those, you know, those, uh, those designs. And I have a couple of times been like, Ooh, that actually looks pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it I'm done. It, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, both like how fast it works because I mean, it's, it is .NET code. It can run super, super fast. Um, but more interestingly, any one of those features I just talked about actually has like hundreds, if not thousands of individual machine learning models, like the, the model that actually understands that, you know, what kind of time related info looks like is very different from one that looks like, you know, if you said in the, the GDP of Japan is this, the GDP of China is that, blah, blah, blah. It'll recognize that you're talking about different countries. And then it might actually recommend like different pictures to put in the background of the PowerPoint slide from those countries, um, you know, and it just really neat things like that. And so it's a, you know, there's, it, it's almost like a game of Plinko, you know, where you take kind of the, the input data and then it goes down in different layers in the pyramid until it figures out, oh, what's the, what's the best kind of thing I can do here. And then, you know, kind of work together with a high level kind of ranker and classifier on top to recommend the best output. I love that. So you, <laughs> you can build that too. Yeah. Yeah. So with the examples that you gave for like Excel and PowerPoint, are those models like baked into the binaries that ship with Office? Or is this something that's kind of using like some sort of service in the cloud? So to kind of get that info back to us? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Like, you know, there's um Oftentimes things ship inside products, right? Uh, then uh, sometimes they'll work together with cloud services. So a classic example is, for example, uh, face recognition for tagging, for example. Uh, you don't want to necessarily send the whole high-res image uh, to, the, to the cloud just to figure out that there's three people in the image, right? Uh, conversely, uh, you might have a model that runs locally, and then uh, it'll do some kind of initial uh, processing to say, oh, I found three people in the picture. Get 
get the bounding boxes of those three faces and then send those faces to the cloud service to then kind of match and figure out who the person is to tag them, for example. So it's sending a, a minimal amount of information uh, up to the to the cloud at that point. And so depending on the services like, uh, for example, the Windows Hello login, you know, where like security is super important, those things run locally on the machine, don't use a you know, cloud service. But then other things like the PowerPoint designer, a lot of the that actually does run in the cloud. So when you do have those kind of like multiple uh, models that it gets processed through, does ML.net help you kind of chain those two together or do you have to kind of like manually stitch the output of one into the input of the other? So uh, for for everything in ML.net um, supports the notion of uh, what we call pipelines. Um, whereby whether it's, uh, say, pre-processing, like oftentimes you might, uh, uh, to train a model, you might do uh, convert an image to black and white. You might resize it to a certain, say, whether it's 28 pixels by 28 pixels or something larger. There's a number of steps that you do like before you actually score the model. And, uh, and oftentimes, uh, using other machine learning frameworks like Python, uh, people will kind of store that pre-processing code kind of separate from the trained model itself. And then when there's a handoff from like a data scientist to a dev, some of that pre-processing code like doesn't get passed along with it. And then the dev is like, what do I do with this thing? Um, and so uh, the way ML.net works is whether you're pre-processing data or using other trained models as part of your pipeline to stitch multiple models together, it works the exact same way. And so you always have like this kind of pipeline construct whereby you can add things to it. And whether you're adding data transformation steps to it or adding uh, other trained models to it, it works the same way. And then all of that gets saved in one zip file uh, that is the, the encapsulates the model and all of its information and all of its pre-processing code. So that then when you invoke the model or call the dot predict method, uh, then all of that stuff just, ha just happens. So you don't have to write separate code to do that in some particular order. That makes sense. Yeah, and so it's more of the architecture lends itself to give you all of that kind of, no matter if you're combining them or not. Yeah, exactly. And so you know, we very much kind of orient this to you know the person who trains the model doesn't necessarily have to be you know the person who uses it in their app because oftentimes you know big teams work together and stuff. And so we want to make using the model as simple uh, as possible and as performant as, as possible. Uh, and so you just you know, once you have the zip file, then you can just use that in a bunch of different applications, a bunch of different people can use it and get consistent results. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of features in ML.net, but like what, what actual, like what kind of things does it do? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, at a super high level, any machine learning framework is basically going to enable you to train machine learning models and then use them in your apps or services. Mm -hmm. And ML.NET's no different. But, you know, it's important, you know, to, you know, clarify, like, what is a machine learning model? Right, uh, right. You know, the, so it's, uh, it's easy to think of a machine learning model as basically like, a, an intelligent library that you add to your app like you know people have used libraries to say generate pdf files for example and you're like i don't know what's inside that library but i just know i give it some input and then it'll 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 emit a pdf or it'll emit you know an, an image and it's like okay great it just works and so a machine learning model is just an, an intelligent library that takes some input and produces some output um, but you know ml.net enables you know, training machine learning models for more of what's called um, traditional machine learning. Uh, it, so scenarios like uh, predicting the the price or the uh, capacity that's required to, to run your service, for example. Or, uh, you know, so that's called uh, regression type of scenarios. It, it enables clustering, like uh, taking in a bunch of data about your customers, maybe their purchasing habits or whatnot from an e-commerce site, and then grouping them into different customer segments that you might then want to target uh, for either promotions or for you know, um, different scenarios. Uh, it enables uh, anomaly detection. So like you can collect metrics over a period of time, say for resource utilization or, or for credit card fraud, you know, just identifying any kind of anomalies in, in your data and, uh, and also doing recommendations. So like uh, if you've got an e-commerce site and you want to recommend products that the customer might like, either based on what they're currently looking at or based on past uh, purchasing habits, uh, or re-ranking, like the search results in in Bing or Google, or you know, re-ranking in a in a product catalog to again try and get the the maximum uh, uh, sales uh, on your on your e-commerce site. Yeah, so in, in, that's in my, just a yeah. couple of scenarios. Yeah, in my mind, there's like two like big categories of ML things to me, and I'm an ML newbie, so that that this is probably not how anybody else thinks about it. But there's like these these mathematical formulas where you know, I looked at some of the ML.net code and I know you can do some of that. And then there's this other category that I think of, which is like this, uh, these high level abstractions, right? Which is really like, you know, Azure cognitive services, you can say, here's a photo, look for the things that are in it. So, you know, I saw the kind of the lower level, uh, function type stuff in ML.net. Are there also like higher level abstractions built in there where if I'm not a machine learning expert, I can, maybe, you know, actually train a model myself on some image, you know, basically give it some labeled images and say, here's how you look for raccoons. And then, uh, and then actually like operationalize that and say, you know, Hey, does this image have a raccoon in it? Yeah, you, you absolutely can. Uh, for, for some of the scenarios like image classification, um, we usually rely on kind of pre-trained models that are available in, say, different GitHub repos or in, or in model galleries using uh, whether it's uh, TensorFlow or Onyx, which you uh, ML.NET uh, integrates with. And so you can achieve some of these more interesting scenarios using complex data types like images or, or audio. Um, and uh, and you can, using your .NET code, then you know, take your input image, you can pass it through that, that deep learning model in that case, and then determine, you know, does this have a raccoon? Yes or no. Or, you know, where in the image is the raccoon? Yeah. And, and, and get the bounding box type of information back. Yeah. 
So are you sending that off to TensorFlow or Onyx, or are you actually then you know using the model to figure out if there's a raccoon in it? Yeah, so um, the our our architecture is very extensible, and mm-hmm. so uh, we have uh, basically a bunch of different NuGet packages, um, depending on what kind of scenario or what you want to do with it. And uh, if you want to include Onyx models or TensorFlow models, then you add them like Microsoft.ml.TensorFlow uh, NuGet package, for example. Okay. And under the hood, then that includes the TensorFlow runtime automatically, and then you can uh, when you include your your TensorFlow transform then it invokes tensorflow so you get the full power of of tensorflow in, in that case or the full power of the the onyx runtime uh just from an easier to use net interface okay cool and then again you can stitch together multiple of them together so you know if you're familiar with like machine translation scenarios where uh you know we're speaking to each other but uh if you were speaking japanese and i was speaking english like one of the first steps people might do is like audio signal cleanup you know or they might determine are you indoors or outdoors and then kind of you know noise clean up the noise in the audio signal and then do say the 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 speech to text translation or the speech to speech translation and so uh, again it's that that model Model ensemble, that game of Plinko, where you stitch multiple of them together, and so this would again, you know, in his case, take a couple of models, stitch them together in the ML.NET pipeline, no matter whether it's Onyx, TensorFlow, or or ML.NET models themselves. Cool. So I'm a I'm a pretty strong .NET developer, and ML.NET kind of makes sense for me looking into getting started in machine learning, but pretty much everybody that I know that actually does ML for like a day job knows Python. It seems like they're writing Python daily for that. Is if we have that kind of person out there, is ML.net interesting for them? It's it's possible. Uh, you know, Python is fantastic. I mean, I I write both .NET and uh, Python daily, um, which is always super exciting when going back and forth mentally switching. <laughs> um, but uh, the thing is, is that if you're uh, if you're more of like that that data science hardcore data scientist loves Python, working in Python all the time. Uh, and uh, and you're ultimately just going to put your machine learning model like in a Docker container with the REST API, and that works for you. Like great. Like there's kind of no real reason to switch. I mean, Microsoft is open and interoperable. You can use any language you want to uh, train machine learning models and deploy them using, say, Azure Machine Learning. We'll even auto scale your Kubernetes cluster for you. Blah blah. Like we. Am- fully embrace open source stuff and ml.net is open source now the question then becomes where are you going to deploy your model if you're going to put your model into a .net app for example then you know taking say a scikit-learn model and putting it in a .net app super hard right there's kind of two ways to do it one way you could convert it to uh, a common intermediate format we call onyx that we partnered with facebook and amazon to to actually create as a new industry standard model format or you can uh, you can start your model from scratch using either say uh, nimbus ml which is the python bindings we created on top of ml.net so if you love python you can still use ml.net under the hood to train your machine learning model and the reason why you would want to do that is because then the model format that it gets saved in can be used natively in a .net app uh, and that makes it really easy for a data scientist to hand off the model to the to the .NET dev to include in their .NET app. Mm-hmm. 
but if you're a if you're a .NET dev just building you know .NET apps and you want to get started with machine learning, then it makes sense to like not have to learn machine learning concepts like the difference between classification and regression, etc., and learning a new language at the same time. That makes it really hard. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Like, do I need to learn Python to use this, or can I just stick with .NET? It sounds like I can just stick with .NET. Yeah, if you're if you're a .NET dev, you stick with stick with .NET. That's going to be the the easiest, and that's why why we released this is because there was really nothing out there uh, that was really good for for .NET devs, and we've been sitting on this for for years inside the company, and we wanted to release it as open source and just see if you know the community actually likes it uh, and uh, create it in the open and see what happens. Yeah. Now in in Python, there are a whole bunch of really nice machine learning uh, libraries that exist. Um, I this isn't my thing, so I don't I don't know what they are. But you know, whenever you start talking to them, like I, I have looked at like you know Keras and like some other. I'm sure there's like a whole host of uh, of uh, Python libraries for doing machine learning. So you know, is there a way you you mentioned before? I think sort of interoperating. Can I can I use some of those Python libraries and can I go that direction or not? Yeah, you absolutely can. So, for okay. example, uh, like our Python bindings on top of ML.NET actually fully interop with Pandas and Scikit-Learn. Yeah, uh, for those example. are some of the ones that I've heard. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so basically, you can use like Pandas for your for your data prep and kind of data wrangling that That's people cool. do, and then you can uh, you can even use in inside of a Scikit-Learn pipeline, you can even replace some of the components. Just like if you want to replace the principal component analysis or the ngram featureizer or whatnot with the ml.net implementation uh, of the same thing using the exact same API. So you don't even have to learn new code. You just replace your import statement. And then it'll give you a speed up of like 5 to 10x, uh, which, uh, I mean, who doesn't want faster? Mm -hmm. uh, but then also, because ML.NET supports reading and streaming data, uh, like so if you've got more data in your training data set than fits into memory, ML.NET can do that. But like Scikit-Learn by default does not. Uh, and so then you would have to figure out a way to train on more data um, using these frameworks. And it's really hard. Uh, and more data always beats better algorithms when you're talking about machine learning. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then what about uh, cross-platform? Does this work anywhere? Can I yeah, use it with .NET Core? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing how many people I talk to that still kind of have this weird association of like, oh, .NET is a Windows thing. And it's like, no, that's absolutely <laughs> nope. so not true. You can right. use ML.NET ML on Linux, on Mac, in Docker containers. And yes, of course, you can use it on Windows too. Um, but uh, any because it's at, we're actually .NET standard compliant, so you can run it anywhere that .NET runs. Okay. Well, that's Which cool. is anywhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah. There's very few places that it doesn't doesn't run. And uh, like right now, um, like we just added x86 support in our uh, in our last release, and uh, and we're still working on getting say like you know ARM32 uh, to work. So you know for for super small you know IoT type devices, uh, we're we're still working on that. Um, but you know that'll hopefully come uh, early next year. Okay. So do you have any like examples where I can just kind of go download and just kind of just watch it run to see how this kind of all works? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's uh, a lot of people really, you know, before they even want to go and read books on stuff, they want to just like get their hands on the code and kind of look at it and try and wrap their head around it and play with some samples. And so we have a whole GitHub repo dedicated to just samples. And that's at uh, git, github whack dot net whack uh, machine learning dash samples. And uh, uh, you've got uh, samples there for like, um, say, GitHub issue classification. So like uh, if you create GitHub issues uh, on the, the .NET Core FX repo, it'll, we uh, automatically triage those issues and add tags and labels to those issues. And so we provided a sample of how to do that. Uh, we also have samples for credit card fraud detection and customer segmentation and image classification using TensorFlow. So you know, figure out whether you know the image has a, a dog or doesn't have a dog or has you know different types of fruits in it. You know, there's uh, those kinds of samples and customer like comment sentiment analysis. So determine whether the the sentiment is uh, you know, positive or negative, you know, toxic or not toxic. Um, so there's the, there's a whole bunch of different samples on, on a repo. Yeah, I see there's quite a few out here. That's pretty cool. Uh, so what features are missing and uh, like what is planned on the roadmap, if you can talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the one of the features that we're uh, adding right now and will be in our release uh, the first week of December. So we have monthly releases uh, the first week of every month. Uh, and so one of the ones that we're adding right now is called uh, model explainability. Uh, you know, when when looking through uh, you know traditional code, if you will, uh, understanding why the 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 function or method you know performs a certain way is pretty easy because you can kind of step through it, right? But with these machine learning models, depending on what type of data the model was trained with, it'll perform very differently. You can use the exact same code to train the model, but if you have say you're building an image classifier and your training data has you know a, a bunch of you know, pictures of fruit for example versus a bunch of pictures of different kinds of people then you're going to get very different results uh, and so trying to understand why a model did a certain thing you know whether it you know predicted whether the sentiment is positive or negative etc is uh, very hard uh, to understand. And so we're adding features to enable kind of, you know, the better kind of debugging and understanding of why a model performed the way that it did. Uh, we're also uh, actively working on uh, on a UI tool that'll be available through uh, through Visual Studio. Uh, and so you can like file new machine learning project essentially. Uh, and uh, and that's super important and been one of the keys as to how this machine learning framework has become popular and useful inside Microsoft is we've had we've had a UI tool that enables kind of specifying what kind of task you want to perform and then kind of uh, automatically it'll walk you through some recommendations on how to work with your data to achieve your your best outcome and kind of generating the code to train the model and compare different ways of training the models against each other um, because you know it is science after all it's data science uh, and uh, the scientific method really is guess and check right and so there's more than one way to kind of achieve the same task and so oftentimes you'll want to try a couple different ways and compare them and so having a having a UI tool to, to do that can really accelerate productivity 
but of course, all the features are still available from a code first kind of easy to use uh, SDK, um, but that'll be there. Yeah, I was just looking through the samples. Like I see the like the binary classifier to, you know, figure out whether or not it's like a positive or negative statement. Um, like this code, I mean, I, this is pretty simple. Um, so I think, I think this is pretty cool. Like it's pretty, pretty simple to train and it's pretty simple to actually use it. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're not a developer and you need to do something like this, this is, this is right up your alley. I like this. Yeah. I, we, you know, we have kind of a, a charter to make sure that, you know, every every developer, whether they're Python developer or .NET developer, can can use machine learning and infuse uh, intelligence in their applications in the cloud and on the edge. Um, and so, you know, we just want to make sure that all the folks that are, you know, super passionate about .NET can, can really grok this and, you know, mm-hmm. add great capabilities to their applications and just make them modern. And because our customers expect that these days. I mean, machine learning and AI is all around us. And we just want to democratize that and make it possible for everybody to do this. Very cool. Anything else you wanted to mention? Not really. I mean, I okay. you know, I want to reiterate the fact that you know because this is an open source project, we would love for the community to like you know file new issues or you know look create new samples. We would love you know more like engaging, interesting samples that are fun or you know maybe have some real world kind of business value. Uh, and uh, you know if you want to you know contribute new algorithms, you know, there's so much more to do in this space. Uh, we're really just getting started. And so we would love your help and I love your feedback. Super cool. Just give it a try, people. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And then Carl, what do you have for the Azure pick of the week? So the Azure pick of the week this week is the Azure portal itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, more importantly, uh, for the account manager uh, up in the little corner, a lot of times if you were to have like a work account, a personal account, or maybe you're a consultant, so you have multiple work accounts for one for each of your your clients, uh, like if you went and logged in uh, to get to the other one, you had to like fully log out completely on your browser or have like tabs open or incognito mode. I mean, it gets messy how you want to manage that. But now you can have multiple accounts where you can just uh, swap to another account directly in the portal without having to log out, without having to reload. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely a, a huge productivity boon for the portal. Yeah, I see a lot of people that are using uh, incognito mode, like you mentioned, and uh, use Chrome profiles or use this feature. Like this feature, this feature solves it, I think, for a lot of people. But Chrome profiles lets you go even further and actually, you know, have totally different logins for for things. So very cool. And then website of the week, Carl. Yeah, um, I was I follow uh, Ryan Loudermilk on Twitter, and he had uh, a link to a web page that has all sorts of free wallpapers that are pretty well done. A lot of Microsoft themed ones called wallpaperhub.app. So these are really high res, just gorgeous images. If you need some uh, wallpapers, go check it out. This is cool. I like the Windows 10 Bliss. It has the old like XP background in it. Yeah, these are pretty nice. Yeah, that's a very cool site. Okay, cool. And then you have two dev tips of the week. Yeah, so the first one is uh, a Twitter list from uh, Jen Gentleman. She uh, works on the Windows Insider team. 
she keeps a, a, a Twitter list of helpful hotkeys. So go there, check it out. If you just want to check out a bunch of uh, Windows oriented hotkeys and she sometimes even has stuff for like uh, Office. So uh, a, a lot of really cool, just different uh, shortcuts, keyboard shortcuts to do all sorts of different things um, on Windows. Okay. And then specifically, uh, I knew about this one, but uh, Scott Hanselman also tweeted about this recently. In the most recent version of Windows, so you have to have Windows 10, 1809, there's now a built-in clipboard manager. So if you hit WinV instead of Control-V, you can see uh, basically the last many things that you copied into your clipboard, and you can select any one of them. So instead uh-huh. of having to, to copy, go over paste, Go back, copy, go back, paste. You can just hit copy, 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 and go over, hit Windows V, and paste the specific ones you want in the order that you want. And it syncs across devices. So uh, I think it uses either Edge or Cortana on um, iOS. And then if you have the Microsoft launcher on Android, that's built in there. Okay. That's very nice. I mean, I like that implementation. Okay, so Chris, there's a game that we play on this show. What I need you to do is pick a number between one and two inclusive. <laughs> We're running out of numbers. <laughs> Which one would you uh, like? I'll choose number two. Number two. Uh, would you would you rather spend a full day with a bad grass, quote hits in quotes, with a bad grass itch from lying on the grass in shorts or spend the day trying not to scratch 15 scabs that itch like crazy and are just starting to peel off. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to go with the bad grass itch myself. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. It's a full day. Spend the day. Either way, you're spending the day. Yeah. But, okay, uh, so here's another uh, side benefit to picking the first one. Uh, this yeah. is end of fall, beginning of winter right now. So that yeah. means that you're on the grass and it's nice enough to be outside. Totally. And I don't have a bunch of scabs that people have to stare at. You know, So, I mean, it's like I don't want to go to a meeting and be like, what is this guy, a leper? You know, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I'll take the grass itch. Totally. Okay. So I, I think we're all in agreement there. Very cool. Okay. And uh, let's see. Where can uh, where can people find you, Chris? It looks like Carl has – he's collected a whole bunch of links that you've mentioned. We'll include those in the show notes. But where's the best place to be, for people to find you? Yeah, generally uh, on Twitter, C Lauren forty two. Okay, C L A U R E N forty two. There you are, very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer, and you can find me at whytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash whytechie. Chris, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about ML.net. What a cool technology! Absolutely, thanks for having me, guys. Mm-hmm.